Welcome back to another episode of the Growing Up Punk Podcast, a podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. We're so glad you decided to join us today. It is a joy and a privilege to get to do this show. Uh, me and David love getting to talk about music and interacting um, between the two of us and also online uh, with many of you that are a part of this community. And so thank you so much for, for giving us the opportunity to do this, for listening, for commenting, for getting mad at us about the albums we pick. We love it all because it's it's all a part about being music fans and, and being passionate about the bands we love. If you would love to see and hear more about this show, you can go to growingpunkpod.com. There you'll be able to find everything you need, and I mean everything. If you need more information on anything, go there because it's there. And we love putting time and effort into uh, building into that so that you guys have lots of really cool resources and opportunities to learn more about your favorite bands and our favorite bands. Today we have part two of Solid State Records Top Albums. Part one saw me talking with John from Life in Your Way. On that episode, we each picked five from the kind of 1995 to 2005 era. Today we are talking with Joe from the band Lightworker. He is in one of the new Solid State bands, and they just put out one of my favorite records of the year. So if you haven't checked it out, go and listen. It's awesome. Uh, we did something a little bit different this time. Instead of hearing from the both of us, uh, you'll just be hearing Joe's 10 picks. So I kind of put my input in there as well. But um, I wanted to make sure Joe had um, enough albums to pick from because there's a lot to offer on Solid State. And so picking five is, is sometimes a bit difficult. So I wanted to give him 10 picks. And he's an awesome guy. He's got lots of good information about music. Uh, he's really passionate about music and building into the music community. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that he took the time to talk with me and to share about some records that were impactful for him. So if you like what you hear, uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then interact with us. Leave us a comment. Which albums did we miss out on? Uh, which ones were impactful for you? Again, these are just 10 that were influential for Joe. These aren't the most influential or impactful or top 10 and all that kind of stuff that you like to argue about online. Uh, these are just 10 that he loves. And so hopefully there's someone there that you love too. Uh, but that's enough from me. Here is my talk with Joe from Lightworker about 10 albums from Solid State Records. All right, we are recording. Welcome, Joe from, uh, he doesn't know if it's sunny California because he hasn't been outside since COVID hit, so we're just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh, assuming it's nicer, but anyways, yeah, so we've, we've been uh, chatting for a bit here before I hit record and getting lots of good information that nobody else is going to get because it's private, it's just for us. <laughs> Yeah, so what we're, what we're doing today is uh, we are talking about Solid State Records, so uh, part one should be out by this time with John from Life in Your Way, and so now we're doing a part two with Joe. Um, so John was in a, a band that used to be on Solid State, now we're doing part two with someone who is in a band that's currently on Solid State, and so Joe, it's awesome to have you here today, and nice to see your face and catch up with you. Yeah, man, thank you for having me on, I'm stoked. Yeah, so we should start with, what's your earliest memory of a Solid State release? What was it? And kind of how did that get you hooked and further into discovering new bands from the label? It, it, like probably most um, Solid State Tooth and Nail kids, which I definitely am. It started with Tooth and Nail with, of course, MXPX, you know. 
And also I would say uh, Project 86 as well. And so then a bunch of my friends started getting into heavier stuff. You know, I and I had all already heard bands like or heard of bands like uh, X Toll and and Zayo and and stuff like that, Norma Jean. And you know, I was kind of in awe of more of the metal stuff because that was you know for me a bit taboo growing up. You know, like the, the the heavy the metal stuff, but I loved it. You know, like I knew I loved it in the back of my head. I I loved the guitar riffs. Back then, the screaming was like, I was like, I'm good with, like, you know, it took me a minute, but, and it got to the point where, uh, you know, the, the bands I was listening to just weren't delivering the heaviness I wanted, even though they had, like, sometimes I just wanted to, you know, just an all-out assault in my eardrums, and I ended up getting... The on legendary, or not on legend. That's on legendary is the further seems forever song. Uh, the legendary compilation by Zayo. Okay, yeah. You know, I just remember being very creeped out, but like in a very alluring way by, by them because I had never really heard that style of vocal, and you know, just because uh, I mean, I I knew metal, but I knew like the melodic stuff, like Iron Maiden and all that stuff. So this kind of vocal and you know especially with dan's voice it's like leans towards kind of like the black metal vocal that's like my first like shock introduction to was like probably one of the most extreme styles of vocals so yeah i it's kind of funny because like back then i mean now you know it's just second nature to me and many people in the scene and whatnot back then i mean it was very alluring in a very creepy way I was so innocent, you know, and um, I just, yeah, I, I bought that that CD because, like I said, all my friends were listening to Zayo, Every Time I Die, uh, Norma Jean, and all those bands, and I was like, oh, I don't want to be left behind, so to speak, so I was just like, well, I'll go with Zayo. Yeah, what's what's interesting about heavy music is, like you say, the the kind of weird alluring to it. At least, like, same when I got into it, like I had no reference for it, and I think that's what was the weirdest thing, right? Like I'd gotten into punk, and and I love that, and so when I heard, you know, I think it was the, the first songs from the Penalty Box, you know, that had Zayo and and Warlord and Training for Utopia, and some of these bands. Like I remember me and my friends, like basically mocking those bands because we were just like. It was so ridiculous to us. You know, I was like, what is this? Like, this is just kind of got to be a joke. But because we had no reference of, like, what it was, you know, it was like, it wasn't fast like punk. It wasn't melodic. You know, it kind of had some elements, you know, just kind of like maybe the angst or whatever. But yeah. and then you kind of listen to it more. You find a record that's like, okay, I can connect with this. Maybe it's a little bit different. You know, like for me, one of those was Stretch Armstrong's Rituals of Life. You know, it wasn't as heavy as some of those bands, but, you know, it was full screaming and, and so, you know, kind of one of those gateway bands or whatever. But yeah, I, I just love, love that when, when you don't have any reference to something, kind of how do you, how do you take it in and process it? And so that, that's cool that you had kind of a similar experience with that. That's kind of something I miss about music, I guess, in, in the coming of eight years, you know? is kind of like that innocence like the first time that you heard you know double kick drums you were just like what is this you know and it's such a simple thing you know but it just kind of like 
discovering it and having it be like your little secret in a way and just you and your friends just that that time was uh it was it, it was fun i look back very fondly because we were all just blown away by like some of the most simple things that you know it's funny i think i went through a time period where i you know since it was demystified for me i just kind of got tired of it but now as i have progressed as a songwriter um i i've begun to value some of the simplicity behind it and 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 how that could actually be beautiful art but you know it's kind of like with thrice you know they were just like oh well you don't have to shred the whole time and they wrote vesu and it's a great record you know yeah yeah just to, to go on another little side tangent you mentioned project 86 um and i can remember seeing a picture of them in a tooth and nail catalog and i just assumed it was a punk band because again i didn't really have much reference and all i was really going on is how they looked right and uh so I, I bought that first album and and was just i was pretty confused by it i mean it turned into one of my favorite <laughs> albums um you know once yeah. i kind of realized like okay this isn't this isn't a punk band and again i didn't really have a whole lot of reference to that style either but and it, it kind of confused me because it was released on beck which i'm not sure why they chose to go that route versus solid state uh, maybe they switched over later on. I'm not sure, but yeah. So just so so many fun little stories and anecdotes with with discovering these bands and kind of what they turned into from from what they started at. So that's awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sweet. Well, let's get into. So this is your top uh, ten list, or maybe not top ten, but ten albums um, that you love. So I guess I should start uh, just by saying that because I know fans of of the label can sometimes think you know like how could you not include this album or why did you pick this one so i'll, I'll just also did a like a certain time period too i think it was like the last not like i think we did didn't we do like 2010 or 2005 to 2015 i think yeah yeah that's right um yeah so what i did with john it was kind of like the earlier ones and maybe a little bit more all over the place so anyways it's just always good to say these are just 10 albums that that you connect with and were influenced by so uh that way no one's opinion is is right or wrong it's just an opinion so um <laughs> yeah so we'll uh we'll count it down from from number 10 and and uh, get to hear your thoughts on on all of them so the first one is as cities burn Son, I Loved You at Your Darkest from 2005. So this is a very unique and special release for Solid State. I got this album when it came out because there was some hype around it and I'd like what I had heard. Uh, we listened to this a lot in the Means van. We were all fans of this. And there's, there's a lot to digest on this album. And it continues to mean a lot to, a lot to a lot of different people. I finally got to see them play live just a couple of years ago. And uh, and it was awesome. They were they were really good. They only played one song off of this album, and uh, I think there was a few other people there that were a bit disappointed about that. But they've they've got a whole journey, and uh, you can go listen to that. On I think they were on the labeled podcast. If you want to hear more of their story on that, but yeah, why why do you connect with this album? Why is it special to you? It's it's actually kind of a long story, but um, to to make to make it short, uh, you know, I I was going through really dark period kind of trying to figure out where i was going with my life back then and when this album came along lyrically every song just seemed like it was written for me you know and uh it was 
something that I just immediately just got hooked on to. And uh, even before the album came out, I actually went and saw them uh, when they were touring and I actually became fast friends with the band still to this day. There's that added, um, you know, personal uh, memories that are attached to it as well. And uh, every time back then uh, from pre Sun I Loved You at Your Darkest through, um, I guess before their first breakup, I mean, I was at every Bay Area show. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I would go to two of them. Um, and, uh, you know, just a, a band that uh, lyrically for the first time, like there was always bands that I, you know, you know, like kind of like attached myself to, uh, to uh, but this was like lyrically was so specific and so close to what my experiences were growing up that, you know, it, it just really kind of deep. And then musically, uh, it's, I mean, just, it's brilliant. You know, it's, it's all memorable, but there's not really, there are some repeating parts on the record, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty linear, but every part is memorable and I can recite it to, uh, to this day, even if I, even if I haven't listened to the album in a long time mm. and guitar work, which I think is like probably the biggest highlight, uh, musically, and uh, along with the vocals, uh, but guitar wise, Cody was doing some really cool shredding, but that wasn't in necessarily a metal way. And that was very appealing to me at the time mm. because, you know, everybody was really into, uh, you know, how fast can you shred, you know, sweeping like guitar sweeping was really big back then, but he, did like this cool like I don't even know how to call it but because it's not sweeping but it's like it's still really fast like bursts of like guitar lead coolness <laughs> yeah and vocally TJ at the time um I had never heard anybody scream like him and I feel like a lot of folks have actually taken a page from his book and uh kind of mimicked that and He's kind of the, uh, the one of the forefathers of that vocal style. A lot of people took it and ran with it. The kind of like sing screamy thing, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So as you could tell, he had massive influence on me. Yeah. Were you um, maybe not disappointed, but how, how did you feel like you just briefly about their follow-up or the change in sound? And um, like, are you the the type of fan that, when you love a band for, you know, a certain style and then that kind of shifts drastically, how, kind of how do you feel about that or how do you connect with that? I've loved everything that uh, City Spurs has done. I am the kind of music fan that tries to meet the artist halfway and try to like see where they're coming from and, and grow with them. Uh, sometimes it doesn't always work. Um, <laughs> there's some releases where, where I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know about this one. But yeah. when it when it comes to like specifically, as cities burn, um, I feel like they could just do any style and uh, pretty much just conquer it. It's 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 pretty cool. It's similar to how like thrice. Yeah, I was thinking of that. Well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and just one other thing to pull out from that, like I, I love that that you connected so deeply with the lyrics and and just that music, especially you know this style of music. Um, you know, I don't hear a lot of people saying like, "Oh, every word on the new Katy Perry just hit hit home for me." But uh, <laughs> you know, that's but this right, like it, it just comes from a such a passionate and um, real place, and so that's that's really cool that that you connected so well with this album and just then how that can, you know, just be a part of your journey or your life. And so great, great uh, part of influence uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, next one is becoming the archetype with dichotomy from 2008. Yeah. I got to admit, this is a band I've never, never really listened to and I've kind of rolled off as a band I wouldn't enjoy. However, when I listened through it this week, I kind of found myself enjoying it a lot more than, than I expected. There's a lot to digest here, and I will have to go back and listen more to fully appreciate everything this album has to offer. It's definitely more on the progressive side of metal, um, but not so much necessarily that it confuses the listener. You know, there's top top-notch musicianship here, and um, I, I think it's just one of those you probably have to spend some time with. And um, so, yeah, what's what, why do you connect with this one? For me, uh, I was. I, I, the, the concepts behind the record, uh, whether it be loosely, whether Jason Wisdom, the bass player uh, slash vocalist at the time, he meant it to be a concept record or not. He did say a lot of it was based off of the book, That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. Hmm. And um, even the album artwork reflects that. And I think because there was that C.S. Lewis influence I was very intrigued by it because I, I was never really into, I was always very intrigued by like extreme metal. I guess it, it just took a while for me to really get into the plunge. And uh, this was one of the ones that I think this is to me is a gatekeeper album for that style of music because it's very accessible and it has uh, some really cool groove, but there's also a lot of good guitar work. Lyrically, there's a lot of cool stuff. Devin Townsend uh, produced it, and, and it sounds amazing. So all that stuff coupled with just, uh, and there are, they were also really good live. It just, uh, I don't know, uh, to me this was peak uh, becoming the archetype. Also kind of opened the door for me to explore other extreme metal bands. Um, I, I was already a big fan of x Toll, but they're kind of like in their own world, you know? So yeah. um, uh, in terms of like uh, progressive uh, death metal, but yeah, this, this style was just, it really stood out to me as kind of, uh, it, it also just like in terms of like, I guess the quote unquote Christian scene, it was also a breath of fresh air because there was a lot of, uh, bands coming out at the time the the neon wave of metalcore is what i call it mm. <laughs> where uh and and they were just doing their own thing and uh it was just a breath of fresh air so yeah and i think they're one of those bands that you know probably just didn't get as much you know recognition as they probably deserved for i guess a variety of reasons and but yeah just so it, it's bands like this that that make me appreciate solid state because there's there's bands on this list here that we're going to go through that you know it's like oh yeah that's that's an easy pick like that band was huge and then there's bands like this where it's like you know it's a bit more niche um you know not as you know mainstream or whatever you want to call it or um, accessible for for a lot of listeners and 
And uh, I just, I always love that about Solid State is they, you know, they would have bands that, you know, they could promote on Warp Tour and all the big tours, but they also had these bands that were like pretty specific for, you know, a specific audience, but just so talented and so much to offer and just cool that they were willing to kind of, you know, put time and money and effort and into bands that maybe wouldn't make them a ton of money. I'm not, I'm not saying they didn't, I don't know that, but you know, just those two different kind of worlds. So that's uh, that's really cool. Is this a, a kind of record that, that you can put on and listen like from front to back? Oh, definitely. And one of the things that I also love about it is for a while there, yeah, I'm pretty sure they only did it on two of the records, but um, and the final one they didn't bring it back. But uh, on the first record, and then this record, the third one, they had um, instrumental, uh, like a uh, like a classical neo classical piece uh, on acoustic nylon guitar. I grew up with like a background in, in classical, and so it was very appealing to me. Mm. And uh, their guitar player for the first album and then he came back for this album john star yeah he just knocks it knocks it out it's just it's it's brilliant you know i i think yeah every song on here is just to me it's just amazing and there's even like a, a, a freaking like cover of a hymn like <laughs> oh I, I didn't catch it i'll have to go back and check that out How great thou art which is like it's and the way they do it is so cool and i think what ends up happening with with uh especially more extreme metal is that a lot of times it can your ears can get jaded because you keep hearing blast beats and you keep hearing and you're just kind of like oh wow i'm on the next song but becoming the architect they did a very good job of making sure that you knew that these were all separate songs and if one song bled into the other it was purely intentional and uh so yeah i think i think this is a band that just just extremely good musicians that um i re- i really wish that they would have you know gotten on some tours with uh some some bigger uh more mainstream bands like the faceless and you know uh just bands in that league because yeah. i think they would have gone over very very well yeah and why didn't they like were they were they ever a full-time touring band or they just didn't get the right opportunities or what? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think, um, yeah, that's probably, probably something that, you know, I should ask Jason, but, uh, yeah, they, they definitely should uh, probably, probably just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Next one is inhale, exhale, the lost, the sick, the sacred from 2006. Yeah, so to me, this is one of those bands on Solid State that kind of gets lost as maybe they didn't achieve the same success as some of their peers, and so maybe they didn't get you know the same promotion and attention. This is another band that I never really got into, but as I was listening this week, again, found myself enjoying it. And I do remember listening to this record. I haven't gone back to it in years, but it definitely fits that era of music. Um, I wouldn't say it's really anywhere near... Uh, my favorite for that but i think what they did they they did it really well and you know the the songs are good there's um you know it's heavy but it's melodic there's there's catchy uh, choruses to it you know not so like pop choruses but um yeah there was lots of good stuff to take away from this but it's definitely not a band that i hear a lot of people talking about so why does this stand out for you 
I think the uh, first album in particular uh, was really cool because when the band first came out, uh, Ryland, uh, their vocalist, wasn't in the band. It was another guy. I think his name was Andy. And he was just a screamer, and he had, like, a very different scream than Ryland does. And the drummer at the time was doing all the singing vocals. And um, so they had kind of, like, an under oath kind of thing going on in terms of, like, you know, frontman with just screaming and then, you know, drummer with the singing. And But the thing was that these guys had riffs. And their riffs, to me, were very different than what was – again kind of like becoming the archetype uh different than what was really going on in the scene at the time they were doing they were doing things and oh and also it was just one guitar player and he oh, filled wow. out the sound yeah exactly he like yeah. and john john larusa i think is his name and, and he was able to fill out like the sound like so well and i saw them uh twice and you know with with and ryland can sing like on when he would when he was out there belting it, I mean, he did not miss a note singing wise. And then he would, you know, scream. That's, it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. They, they definitely had their like songs with like some cool, like, uh, like you said, not, not pop choruses. They're, they're more like rock choruses. But then you also had, and they also had breakdowns, but not like the typical, like build up and then, you know, like yeah, yeah. They, 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 they definitely, they had riffs and it, it was just different, man. And I think that really appealed to me because of the fact that um, I already had, you know, the, uh, the breakdown bands with, you know, that, and I didn't need another one. And these, these guys were definitely more uh, riff driven and, um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just solid stuff. It just, uh, it's very, I would definitely say what what really drew me into this release is definitely the guitar work because, mm-hmm. like I said, he, it's uh, it's cool, it's metal, it's it's definitely more groove oriented than it is like core or anything like that. I wouldn't even yeah. So yeah, just solid solid record front to back and um, just riffs, baby. I love riffs. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like they got the recognition that that they deserve? Kind of like got on. Part of my scope is, you know, we don't get a lot of these bands up here. And so, you know, sometimes I'm just gauging that relevance or popularity, just either what I remember seeing, you know, online or tour support or, or all that. But to me, they were one of those bands, like I remember seeing their name, you know, around a decent amount, like just when there was advertisements in magazines, but I don't remember like a lot of people necessarily talking about them or, you know having the same popularity as some of the other bands that were, you know, fairly similar to them style-wise. It's funny because um, a band from Canada actually toured with them uh, called Dead and Divine. Oh, yeah. So that's, uh, but th- that was here in the States, I think. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not sure. It's kind of hard to gauge because back then when I was a kid, you just kind of went to shows and, you know, like you just kind of lived in the moment. And at that time, um, during that specific time frame, they were definitely an opening band um, because I saw them. I think the tour was, man, I think the tour was, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was August Burns Red headlining, or no, it was Haste the Day headlining, 
August Burns Red supporting. Yeah, see, I'm getting all these tours mixed up, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was, all good. But, like, um, I, what I will say is that when I saw them, the crowd was, I mean, they were going off. So oh, Awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I think, um, yeah. And then the second record I really liked, too. I remember, like, people thinking it was a bit experimental for their tastes, but I, I really enjoyed it because it, it kind of expanded on kind of, like, that unique kind of thing that they did with with heavy music um where it was still familiar enough to where it was like okay i get what they're trying to do but they're also like exploring other ideas and whatnot yeah yeah awesome yeah those, those are good thoughts and and just cool to hear different perspectives too and the next one is the famine the architects of guilt from 2011 so this album it's got crazy artwork i I love, uh, you know, we, we, we were talking about artwork before we hit record here. And uh, another thing I love about Solid State or even just Invisible Creature who does a lot of the Solid State art is, you know, they can do, you know, art that's really simple. You know, a lot of especially the kind of um, earlier kind of either pop punk or um, kind of pop rock stuff that Tooth and Nail put out. It was very just kind of like image based, you know, there would be like one image on the front or through the book that it would be, you know, one image or something, you know, revolving around one image. And, um, but then they could do stuff like this. And I mean, lots of stuff they've done. That's just like, it's just crazy. So go check out the artwork if, uh, if you haven't, but th that's what, like the first thing that kind of grabbed my attention. I remember seeing it and it's almost like a little, I was like, oh, don't look at it too much because it's, it's kind of creepy and weird. And <laughs> but, you know, it, it definitely fits the music because when you, when you press play on this, it's like, okay, that, that imagery definitely fits the music. And, I mean, this isn't a band that, that I would be overly drawn to. I haven't really listened to much of their stuff at all. And I kind of skimmed through, skimmed through this album, and it's, it's not one that, that I can, you know, appreciate, but... There's, there's definitely quality musicianship here and songwriting, and um, so I can appreciate it for what it is. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned a bit of you know, your love of extreme metal, and, and so is, is this just kind of another one of those releases that, that kind of taps into that part of your, your music interests? Yeah, I think um, kind of like what I said before, you know, uh, Becoming the Archetype was kind of like that gateway band for me. And if it wasn't for, for, they're like a good gateway band for extreme metal and um, especially, you know, dichotomy. And uh, which then led into me exploring, you know, I was like, you know, I got used to the blast beats and stuff on dichotomy and, and prior become the archetype releases, but it really set the platform for me to get into bands like The Famine. So this this definitely scratches uh, some of that niche for sure, um, and I think it it helps that it has you know the the band has uh, or had rather uh, ex members from Embodiment as well, which you know they're already a legendary band for the label. Yeah. So having that couple for me coupled with the the, the fact that. Um, you know, I, like I said, just enormously intrigued by, by this um, counterculture of, of extreme metal. Um, and then obviously the, it goes off into their own little sex, you know, but uh, this 
to me is is a quality death metal release and um yeah i i felt like the like just talking like production wise um that that it lacked a bit you know i guess comparing it to becoming the archetype like that album sounded you know because there's certain certain releases for this style like maybe i don't like it as much but if the production is really good like that becoming the archetype then it's like okay well, at least this feels a bit easier to listen to but i felt like this one it was you know there was, there was something missing on it that just made it a little bit harder to listen to do you, do you find that too or is that just me well for me um i guess kind of the way that i was growing up and and it, and it stayed with me i i think it with a lot of people it didn't stick with them but because of the fact that uh i grew up on listening to like punk bands that recorded on a four track you know <laughs> or yeah. something really simple like i to me like the quality of the recording isn't always make it or break it for me um you know i i see a lot of people these days talking about oh well you know the mix is this or that and i'm just kind of like but you can understand what's going on. So like for me, especially for, and also understanding what the genre that you're listening to is known for. If it's going to be something raw, you know, like uh, that's, I mean, like, for example, I, I couldn't imagine listening to uh, say an Advent record that has the same uh, sheen and polish as like August Burns Red person. Right. You know, I, I actually would think that would take away from what Advent brings to the table. Yeah, so, true. so I think for, for, in terms of this, um, it's, it's pretty, it's actually pretty cleaned up for, uh, for at the time for, for a, a death metal record. And, uh, it's, you know, uh, obviously, things have gotten a lot better since then, even though it wasn't in, in, in the grand scheme of things, wasn't that long ago. I think that came out in, you know, like 2011. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I listened to some of the stuff like from the late two thousands, early two thousands that, you know, might be in the genre um, or, or similar. Um, and I'm just kind of like, Whoa, that was okay. Because, and then I remember like, you know, there was other bands that just had, I guess, cleaner sounding stuff. But I, I really do have this ability to kind of, again, try to meet the artists where they are. And and especially kind of like what you were saying about becoming the archetype, especially when it comes from more um, niche uh, genres, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of budget there. Yeah. You know, so kind of having to work with what you got. Um, it, it's another great example is Emery's uh, The Week's End, you know, like they had, to, I think they did that all like in a week. Yeah. And that's insane to think about. But then you listen to the question and it's night and day. Yeah. And it's not that Ed Rose did a bad job with The Week's End. It's just, that's all, literally all they could afford. And uh, so I think there's a lot of factors uh, that go into this and I went on a long tangent and so what I will say just to cap it off is a simple no it doesn't bother me <laughs> yeah yeah no that's and I and I, I, I love this kind of talk because yeah you're right you know they're it's not always about that right if the songs are good if people 
love the music yeah production's definitely not everything there's a fair share of i mean yeah a lot of the punk albums i grew up on you know were terrible too and i think of you know mxpx poking at you like when i heard that i mean i didn't have again any reference or context for that but i mean now i can hardly listen to that album because because it sounds so bad but but yeah there, there is albums like the week's end where you know it, it's not as crystal clear it's not as punchy but you know the songs are there and it just came at the right time and so it still did what it needed to exactly and you know and to me it's it's kind of funny like before everybody became a bedroom producer um i remember you know for for older music uh like whether it be because i like to collect um or listen to uh, classic releases, even though I might not necessarily be like a huge fan or, or anything like that, but I like to hear releases and bands that were really influential on, on just music in general. So I remember trying to find uh, a copy of uh, U2's Joshua Tree or ACDC's Back in Black um, before it was, you know, I mean, I don't know how many times they've remixed and remastered Joshua Tree or uh, <laughs> Back in Black, but I wanted to find the original because I want to know what it was meant to sound like, right. you know, because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a moment in time and growing up like a, a pop punk kid too, much like you, I mean, there's this one band that I absolutely loved growing up called Phoenix TX. Oh, yeah. And their first album, like you listen to it now and it's funny because it's human, man. And they were kids. Like, you know, they, they were younger than you and I were right now, you know? And, and, uh, you know, the fact that they're actually nailing the guitar solos and stuff like that when they were kids and, and they couldn't necessarily completely comp over a bunch of stuff and do crazy editing. It's insane, but it's funny because you go back and you listen to it and you can hear like some of the backing vocals are a little off key, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, but again, I think that's the character. Same with the, the Hope Swall, um, No Wings to Speak of EP yeah. is a very dry production, so to speak. But the songs, like you said, if the songs are there, they're, they're going to last and, and, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to cut through. I always have wondered, what it would sound like for certain bands, like if, if they would ever go back and do a remix and remaster of some of those things, because um, it, it could liven, it could, it could, it could have changed. I, I wonder sometimes like, could a better, like if, in my opinion, for some bands, the songs were there, but what if they had a better mix? Mm. Could, would that have changed anything? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, which which is weird. I mean, it comes down to it. It should be about the song, you know, and and how the parts play together. But I I guess just with our ears, how we hear it, right? If somebody's like, ah, it's a little scratchy on my ear, you know, like a band like The Famine is to me. It's like, okay, next song, what does that have? You know, it, yeah. it's, it's just part of part of the music and and how we process it. So, yeah, no, lots totally. of stuff in there. Yeah, and I don't think I don't fault anybody for like listening to it that way. I guess my ears just don't work that way. I I try to get to the meat and potatoes, and then basically what I do is I listen to a song, a record, and then I go outwards. I you know I'm you know I, I want I want to hear the songwriting 
what are the lyrics like? And then I, and then, so I go, so I, I'm zoomed in completely and then I go outwards and I'm like, mm. ah, man, I really wish this or that in terms of production or even arrangements, songwriting. But at the end of the day too, um, I think uh, it also comes down to personal preference. You know, like for example, you're a drummer. So uh, uh, depending on the producer you're working with, um, you know, if they're a drummer, they're probably going to, and they're mixing it, they're probably going to mix the drums a little louder, you know, just by second nature. Right. you know, um, and so it really just depends. I mean, there's times where, you know, I see people critiquing mixes online and they're like, the vocals should have been louder. And I'm like, really? I think they're perfect the where they're at. I actually think the lead guitar should have been turned up. But hey, all personal preference. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Next one is uh, one that's a bit more in my wheelhouse. That's Haste the Day with Pressure the Hinges from 2007. So I still remember buying this album. Uh, we were on tour and me and one of the other guys went to Best Buy on release day to buy this album. We had so much anticipation surrounding this with our new vocalist and we're excited to hear the direction they went. They were blowing up at that time and so it was really cool to see the exposure they were getting. This album brought a lot more melody and dynamic woven throughout the songs, which I know was a hard transition for some of the fans. However, I think it's a great effort for a band that was now, you know, they were three albums in and still figuring out their sound. I absolutely loved all the albums Haste Today released on Salt State and thought, you know, each release had something special and new to offer. And um, yeah, great discography. And so, yeah, I'm curious to this pick because um, mine would have been, you know, either, well, I, I mean, I loved... Uh, you know, when everything falls, I, I love this one as well. And then the next one, Dreamworks, it kind of went, you know, a little bit heavier. But yeah, I'm curious to hear why why this one stands out. So for me, it's it's a few things. Um, it, Haste of the Day for a long time uh, was probably in my top three heavy bands, you know, ever um, when I was growing up and. I think the reason why I really liked it was basically what you said in your description, just very melodic. Their choruses were already catchy prior to this, but they got catchier. Um, I was anticipating, you know, the, the new vocalist, Steven. And, um, and I loved, I loved Jimmy's screaming, but I also loved Steven's screaming and he brought a different dynamic, which I think um, three albums deep, um, it, it could work to your advantage when you have like a different voice and it makes it sound like a, a familiar band, but yet you have a new voice. It, it kind of recharges the the band, so to speak. It can potentially. Um, and, and in this case, I think it did. I also think this is the best sounding record production wise mm-hmm. that they released. Yeah. Um, and uh just that that time period i i remember the day i bought it too it was uh it was on release day and i was working at an fye uh you know the the old school like cd mall stores you know and yeah uh, and i got the deluxe edition with the dvd and everything and um you know it just yeah quality songs a bunch of energy catchy um yeah, and I saw them I think twice on during this tour cycle, and uh, they they just brought it, man. That was I would have been very interested to see where they would have gone after this record with 
Jason, who left right before working right. on Dreamer. Yeah, how do you feel this album would have turned out had Jimmy still been in the band? Like, do you think their popularity still would have would have risen, or because yeah, his his vocals were really cool and unique, but they were a lot more kind of one sided. Whereas Steven, you know, he could do the screaming and more kind of like the sing screamy kind of stuff, and just a bit more vers- versatile and and kind of fit that you know that rising popularity and that kind of. Uh, style of melodic metalcore at the time and i wonder had jimmy still been in there if those vocals would have been you know too harsh for you know the the 15 year old girls or whatever that were coming out to those tours and whatever <laughs> that's a good question um i know jimmy was also like he was a hardcore kid so like from yeah. what i remember he he did it a few times he would do those hardcore yells so i'm not sure if they would have integrated that a little bit more just so that way it wouldn't have been as harsh as his black metal-ish kind of vocal is you know the high-pitched uh you know uh screaming that he has um but I, again kind of like what i said with introducing a guy like steven who you know his 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 Screaming was a little bit more palatable, and he, he he could also sing too, and do the sing screaming thing. So it kind of opened up some new doors for them, and that way that they could you know do a song like Stitches, which was their leading single, and um, got them on heavy rotation um, on radio stations and even MTV when they were playing music back then. You know, yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's that. That's that's a good question. You know, um, I think I think what they did with Coward, with bringing both of them back and having them even like share some songs, was really cool because I think that they it showed what the band. I mean, I don't know. I've never heard of a band like bringing back like. Maybe for a guest vocal spot like Killswitch Engage did, yeah. you know, where they had at first, you know, with the end of Heartache, they had Jesse come back for a song, and then recently, with um, with the Atonement, they they had a uh, Howard come back, but you know, just one song. But this was like almost a full record where like they're both like, you know, it's cool like hearing like Jimmy's high pitched screams, but then supported by Steven's low screams. So it was yeah. almost like naturally like a guitar and a bass you know with guitar being the higher frequencies and then bass being lower it's kind of the same with jimmy's vocals being the higher frequencies and then uh steven's lower so i don't know man that's a really good question i've never really thought about that <laughs> yeah and i don't mean any slight to, to jimmy on that by any means i i love the two albums he was on and even the ep they put out um before they got signed um i i just remember that being like such a big big thing there was Certainly in our circles, people were very divided and just, you know, they were very for Jimmy or, you know, for Steven or, or against or whatever. And thankfully, it's like Norma Jean, like people were like, oh, John, even to this day. And it was funny to think back on all that stuff because that's when like that, that was like our biggest issue. Like growing up, it was like, oh, man, the singer from Haste of Day left. I don't know if my favorite band will ever sound the same again. <laughs> different times in. yeah well again like we didn't really have the the context to it because when we discovered bands that's all we knew them as now you know it's a, a lot more common for a member to leave or whatever and and you have social media you know to kind of help bridge that gap of knowing like okay they're moving on to a different project or this and this happened and 
Whereas then it was, it just seemed like it was so much more abrasive. It was just like, oh, all of a sudden it's this whole new guy you don't know anything about. Like you don't really trust him. You just assume you're not going to like him as much. And yeah, it was just such a weird thing. But he definitely, Stephen definitely proved his his value to that band. You know, in the the three four albums um, after this one, and and so yeah, definitely definitely a great release. And it, it was cool to see. Um, Haste today just getting so much um you know attention in the you know general market and you can still remember seeing them um well, I, I'm not seeing them live but even just an advertisement um for, it was for an Atreyu tour so Atreyu was blowing up and yeah, Haste today yeah. Haste the day had direct support and I just remember thinking like what like Haste the day's direct supporting Atreyu like this is crazy yeah. And it just got me so excited, even though I had no connection to the band or anything. But it was just cool seeing a solid state band that I had listened to, you know, before they even got signed and just to see their popularity rise. Oh, totally. And and the album has a lot of, uh, even aside from the single stitches, has a lot of key tracks, fan favorites, you know. I mean, you've got the title track, Pressure the Hinges, you've got Needles, um, and then you know, I'd be remiss by not mentioning a chorus of angels, which is like, oh, yeah. like probably one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best album closers that uh, has ever appeared on a solid state CD. That, that song was just epic. Yeah. So, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Good, good stuff for Hayes today. All right. Another, another one that's, that's close to me. That's life in your ways, waking giants from 2007. So this was a big release for me um, and the other guys uh, and means as well. Like I mentioned um, with the Haste of Day one. And we were big fans of the band's previous album and we were really excited to see them get signed to Solid State and get some more exposure. Not too long after this release, we got to tour with them and it was one of the highlights of our time as a touring band. This album just has so much to enjoy. It's heavy, melodic, catchy, easy to sing along to, has deep lyrical content, but it's easy to relate to and great production on it. It was and continues to be such a great record to throw on whenever and to just enjoy it. I think this is a unique release for Solid State because um, for me, it kind of carries that torch uh, for, you know, Solid State's kind of earlier spirit-filled hardcore and um, just has a special spot um, in Solid State's discography. Why do you love this album? Let's see. Well, for me, uh, what I liked about it was I'm not really... A hardcore guy. I'm not really into to hardcore much, uh, but Life in Your Way is one of those rare bands where I just, I absolutely just, I'm into it. And I think it's because they have a lot of riffing in their in their brand of hardcore more so than I think the average hardcore band or melodic hardcore band. Um, and you know, the, lyrically, I, I think. It was kind of funny. I think I think this album dropped in early spring, late late winter, and out here in California, uh, spring starts I think a little bit earlier than it does in in you know some of the other parts of the country, where it starts to get a little bit warmer. We have some days that maybe it's like it might even hit like the low seventies in, in in March, and um, and I think that emerging from like kind of like a cold winter and then having a very hopeful album coupled with that was i don't know i just remember i remember back on that very fondly it was kind of weird it's kind of powerful to think about mm. um yeah and um 
the su- subject matter was, I mean, it, it, like you said, it's just like full on like spirit filled hardcore and it's lyrically just very hopeful. And even with, with songs like Judas where, I mean, it's just feels like depravity and regret, you know, you, it goes right into another song that just like, crushes it you know the, the final track beneath it all where it just crushes it you know uh, that that hopelessness and and uh, under its heel uh and it, it's a beautiful uh resolution to, to to the album and then more recently um if if you've uh if anybody out there has watched uh the light worker breaking down the the lyric videos um breaking down the lyrics um there there are a pair of songs on the lightworker album that actually uh talk about my initial reaction to me finding out my mom had cancer back in 2017 and uh when i found out that she was cancer free the very i knew exactly what song i wanted to listen to mm, that's awesome. and that song and that song was the beauty of grace by life in your way mm. And with the, with the, you know, and I just, I had that on repeat because that song to me is absolute joy. You know, it's, it's absolute, uh, it's joy, it's happiness. It's, um, it, it makes you, it's, it's funny, like as, as a person who's not really into like worship music or anything like that, you know, um, this, this is like something the closest to, to it that I get lyrically where I'm just kind of like, yes, this is awesome. You know, mm-hmm. this is, this is exactly what I want to hear conveyed because, you know, there is beauty and grace. There is beauty and, and God is good. Even, even during that tough time when my mom was going through a treatment, God is good. But this, that track just completely captured and highlighted the essence of, the grace God had bestowed upon us and, and, and continues to do so. Like, I'm, I'm just smiling thinking about it. I, I remember that day so well. Yeah. And, uh, and that song had a major, major part. Of it. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's, that's so cool how music can, can have that kind of impact. And what I loved about this album is it, it really made you feel something, you know, like it, there was just some, some kind of power to it. You know, a lot of albums you just put on and it's like, yeah, this is awesome. I like it. But when you listen to this, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's almost like there's like a hand on you, like putting pressure on you. Like, it's like, man, I can like feel the weight of, of what's going on here. So yeah, they, they did an awesome, awesome job with this record. And this is one of, one of many bands, you know, that I, I just, I would have loved to have, have heard, what what a follow up to this record you know would have been and um it's, it's too bad that that we never did well i i guess we got uh sorry i kingdoms. shouldn't say it there there was yeah the kingdoms eps there was you know some lineup changes in there as well and um i mean those those eps are amazing um and that was a number of years later and but it would have been cool to kind of hear like you know a year or two later what they would have come up with um but yeah regardless an, an awesome pick yeah, no, it's great, and uh, it needs a vinyl pressing so bad, but that's beside. <laughs> yeah, well, make it happen. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, sweet. Well, the next one is O oh, Sleepers, Children of Fire. And I forgot to put the year it came out, so you can look that up. It came up. out in uh, 2011. 2011, okay. I, I thought it was maybe newer than that, but yeah, I guess it's it's been a while already. But yeah, for some reason, O oh, Sleeper was one of those bands that, that I could never fully get into. I love the style of music that they played, but maybe it was just always a bit too chaotic for me. I'm not sure. Well, it has moments of melody. I don't think that's you know one of the major components that they try to to try to rely on, which which is totally fine. I just think for me it was always a, a bit much, even though I I really liked it overall. I've actually really connected with their newest album, and I've I've listened to it a bunch, and and since then have gone back to albums like Children of Fire and kind of found a new a new appreciation for the music, and so it's cool to. Um, just how that can you know for a band like this that's been around for so long, then a new one comes out. And a big part of that um, is, a, you know, with podcasting being so big now, there's a lot of times, you know, before a band's putting on an album or after they have, they, you know, they'll be on a podcast and they'll go through it. And so um, two of the guys were on the labeled podcast and they kind of went through each of the songs and just talking about it. And, and so I listened to that before I listened to the album and that immediately kind of changed the way that I processed and took in the album and it just made me appreciate it so much more and, and just kind of be a little bit more open-minded to it. And so, yeah, I've, you know, I've gone back. And like I said, there are band I've always liked. I just maybe haven't known how to kind of fully appreciate it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on why you picked this album. Yeah, um, this is another band that uh, I have uh, um, some, some, you know, like closer ties with, kind of like a city sport. I actually met... Um, Lucas Starr, who uh, was in O Sleeper and unfortunately passed away, um, I think it's been about a year and a half, two years ago now. Um, but he he uh, he was a buddy of mine and, and got me into the band. And he left right before this record came out, or he had been out for a little while. But he was just like, "Dude, I've heard it though, and you've got to check it out." And to me, it. Um, brought everything to the table that I really liked because the first record was definitely kind of more of that chaotic thing that you were talking about. Second one, they brought a lot more melody. It's a bit closer to their, their latest album that, that you said you really liked. Um, but it definitely still had, you know, their, their uh, guitar Shane Blay still shredding. Um, and then they came back with this record and I think it surprised a lot of people because I think typically when it comes to bands going a little bit more of an accessible route, most people think like, oh, okay, well, if a band has garnered more of a following with uh, with this more accessible route, they're probably going to keep going that way. But Sleeper did the exact opposite thing where they went more chaotic, like you said. Um, there's definitely still songs with a lot of melody on there. But, you know, you've got some stuff in there that's like, you know, almost as chaotic as like some Dillinger stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and or, or just kind of like that old school kind of like, uh, like Dillinger kind of like the more shreddy aspect of, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know, just, just that kind of math, math core kind of math metal thing going on almost, which makes sense because Shane was in between the buried and me for a while. Right. So, um, 
I think it kind of like scratched that itch for me also, since I do like some of that extreme metal stuff. It, you know, it kind of nipped at the heels of that on some of the tracks. Like, uh, I think there's, yeah, like the Marriage of Steel and Skin, where, I mean, Mike just sounds like a madman, honestly. Like, he's just going nuts, and, and I love it. But then you have, uh, oh, and I also love the fact that it was a follow up to Son of the Morning. You know, which is loosely a concept album, but this one they really honed in on the concept and the story, and uh, a lot of the songs had dual meanings. They, where it did follow the story, but it also might reference other things as well. And I thought that was very clever. Mm. Um, and I think this is a really good example of a band where everybody just got better at their instrument, namely James, uh, who was the guitarist primarily. But on this record, uh, which I think was his last record, but on this record, he even, he started to step it up so much that he even had a, his own guitar solo on this, which uh, I think was really cool. But um, yeah, I think this is, um, you know, I, I love everything O Sleeper has done, but uh, this is just like the perfect blend of chaos and, and melody. Yeah, they always kind of seemed like one of those bands that, that really cared about, I mean, I'm sure every band cares about their music, but just that, you know, I don't really know what I mean by that, but just the way they piece the songs together and the lyrics and, you know, the passion behind it. I don't know, there's just something there that's like, okay, like these these guys are really going for it and they want to make sure that they're getting across, you know, whatever it is they're trying to, to do with their music. And so maybe, maybe that's kind of a vague thing, but I don't know. It's just kind of a thought that every time I listen to it, it's like, oh, okay, like there's a lot of intention behind what they put together. Meticulous. They're very meticulous. And the, they, they, they look at their art as a craft as well. It sounds mm. like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the next one is Once Nothing, First Came the Law from 2008. I remember talking uh, with these guys lots about touring together, but, but it never did happen. I listened to their songs on samplers, but I don't know if I've ever really listened to, to a full album. And I'm not huge kind of into the southern rock metal, so I could never super get into bands like this. Um, but there's definitely more, more to offer, you know, than just, you know, saying it's just southern metal metal or whatever but um, yeah they were unique in their own way and i remember seeing their name on lots of tours and so they must have done you know somewhat well but i, I think they're kind of in that that grouping of you know maybe like inhale exhale or they were kind of on that you know kind of middle tier of bands that were maybe a little too specific in their genre or maybe they just weren't around long enough to to kind of gain more exposure but yeah i'm curious as to why you picked this album so I love, um, I love like uh, a lot of uh, Southern kind of sounding twang. You know, I love Malian and the Sons of Disaster. I love uh, another band that we're going to talk about next. And, uh, you know, I love Pantera, you know, <laughs> just like the groove. And um, to me at the time, um, he was legend had left uh, solid state. And um, so to me, the, these guys were kind of, cause he was legend, especially in the, in their earlier releases. Um, they definitely had the, like I'm trying to think of the right way to put it, but 
like they took their music seriously, but not at the same time. It was still very fun, you know. Like when you listen yeah. to "I Am Hollywood" or their EP um, or "Suck Out the Poison," it was very fun. Even though it was, I mean, like those dudes are serious musicians. And so when when he is legend was no longer a part of the label, I feel like once nothing kind of stepped in mm. and suck out the poison kind of had a little bit of that southern twang and, and kind of like that a uh, stoner rock metal thing kind of going on yeah and these guys kind of brought that too um a little bit more in the southern aspect um and uh the rhythm section is just so good i mean you have giuseppe yeah uh, awesome drummer who, amazing drummer um who uh you know was also known for playing in Haste of the Day and now the Del Warris Prada. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's like done a bunch of other stuff too, session work. And he's just, and the bass player, Steve is incredible as well. Like just there. Yeah. It, it's just a lot of fun to listen to, like just blasting it on your car stereo and then just, yeah, it, it's, it's just a fun record riffs for days. Uh, it's technical, but melodic and at time, it's just fun, man. It's just a, a good time. And that's what I love about it. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it like though. It's the Southern style of, of riffing, maybe just cause I, you know, I've never really listened to bands like Pantera and kind of some of those earlier bands that maybe pioneered this sound. And so, Often when I hear it, it just kind of all sounds the same to me because I don't really have any context for it, which, you know, I guess is kind of a music thing when you don't really understand where it's coming from. You don't really know where it's supposed to be going. And so, yeah, I mean, it was one of those bands that seemed like a really rad band, but just, you know, didn't maybe give them give them the chance or just couldn't appreciate for what it was. But yeah, that, that's that's cool that, that it stands out for you and um yeah, just that that reference with with He Is Legend. That's a good like He Is Legend. Like I I love that I'm Hollywood album, um, and kind of later on realized like okay there is more Southern influence in that, especially kind of in their later albums. And then when I saw them live, so it's cool that a band like this kind of kind of took that place. So that's sweet for for such a short time too. Because after this record, they broke up. Um, I think they kind of got back together a little bit, but never on the scale. That, and I never got to see them live, unfortunately. Um, mm. I only saw live footage, and they, and they looked like they were just having a whole bunch of fun. So, But, yeah, highly recommended if you're into, like, the earlier uh, Salt State, he is legend stuff. Yeah, right on. Yeah, and so you mentioned uh, the next one that's uh, kind of a similar style to this is the showdown Blood and the Gears from 2010. So I loved uh, the first Showdown album, A Chorus of Obliteration, uh, but I didn't listen to, to a whole lot after that. We actually played a show with them once, um, and I was really excited, but by that point, uh, they'd had some member changes, and their style had, had shifted a little bit, and so I wasn't as into it. This, this album kind of reminds me, as I was listening to this week, of, of like Metallica, which I've never super got into, so maybe that's not even a good comparison, but just kind of that... Uh, I don't even know what you kind of call it. Like, you know, more singing, but still kind of grit to the vocals. And, um, but yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of killer riffs and grooves on here and, and I can totally get down with that. So, I mean, it's not a band that I would pick to put on, but I feel like if I was in 
you know, the right circumstance. If I was like, you know, off-roading in a big four-wheel truck somewhere in the, <laughs> yep. the, in the southern states, and this was on, I'd be like, all right, I, I could definitely, definitely get into that. I mean, this just makes you want to. I mean, like, I don't know if you drink or not, but it just like makes you want to crack open a beer or a bottle of whiskey. And just like, and just and like do exactly that or like fire up the grill, you know, and just hang out with the boys, you know, it's, it's a total, uh, biker, uh, metal kind of band and they kind of, and they really embrace that, uh, on, on this record. Um, and it's, it's interesting that you liked a chorus of literation because that's actually like some of that stuff definitely bordered on the, uh, the extreme metal side. Um, well, yeah, I think when yeah, I'm not sure it just kind of caught me off guard. Like th that one to me kind of reminded me of like Avenged Sevenfold, kind of like it. It still had a lot of riffs to it, but it was somewhat melodic. And I mean, it, it's been quite a while since I've gone back and listened to it. Um, but I just remember when that transition happened. I I don't know even this. There might have been a, a different album between that one and this one. Um, and then also the drummer from Still Remains. Uh, I mean, I love Still Remains. He joined this band, and so I was, I was like really excited when I heard that. But then when we played with them, I was like, oh, this is not uh, what I was expecting. And so maybe just some of those those little things kind of like put me off, and I was like, oh, okay, this is just totally different well, direction. So, well, that that's the great thing about the showdown. I feel like they're kind of like. Um, in a metal way, in their own metal way, they're kind of like the metal Thrice or the metal uh, Cities Burn because each album sounds very different and, and but a different style of metal. So the first one, you know, like you said, kind of had like that almost, there was definitely some thrash element in there. It had, it had elements of all different kinds of metal in it. And the second one was straight up like the Black Album, late 80s, early 90s, like... Uh, 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 metal, m melodic stuff, kind of, you know, like you said, Metallica. And, and then um, the next one, they just went straight, like, thrash. It was just, and um, and that actually, you said, so you're familiar with uh, AJ's uh, drumming style, X Still Remains. Um, that, like, to me, was, like, more in the wheelhouse of what I would expect from him as a drummer. Um but yeah, they definitely went more thrash and and uh, they they pushed uh, <laughs> the gears, <laughs> and then um and then with this album, I feel like they they kind of mixed the 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 two prior albums with the that kind of like uh, like you said that Metallica Pantera kind of feel from the '90s, um, but also you know a little bit of thrash in there, and it just grooved for days, and I just. I love it. And Dave from the, the vocalist is one of the best frontmen I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Like, and I, you know, I, I've seen many bands obviously. And, uh, but that dude, like he, his personality, he would say so many things on stage that were just absolutely hilarious. He, he, like, I remember like one time I saw him live and he was all like, this next song is so heavy. Oh gosh, I'm shaking. I'm shaking. It's the song is so heavy. You don't even know. I hope you've been lifting weights, but this is you know, just like, you'd say like wild stuff like that and just nonstop energy. And he actually pulled me up on stage and I completely cut up my shin 
and I was just screaming into the microphone and uh, very memorable. And they were just a lot of fun live too. Uh, I guess it's something about like the Southern style band they, bands. They they love to have a lot of fun on stage, kind of like Maylene too. Yeah, and he played guitar too, right? Uh, uh, the the vocalist from from the Shutout. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh. He no, no. He was just a he was just a vocalist. Oh, like the guy with the long blonde hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. He was just a vocalist. For some reason, I thought uh, their lead singer played guitar as well. But okay, well that's cool. No, and that dude like, and and that's the thing too is I think he brought. Um, I think during that time, bands were doing a lot of the bands, regardless of what kind of heavy you were. You could have been a hardcore band, you could have been a metalcore band, or whatever. But every band had, you know, like the tough guy frontman who did all the screaming, and then you had the vocalist who had like a very like high pitched kind of you know singing melodic voice. But then you have Dave, who just sounds like a like just dude like 100 percent like dude like this guy like probably eats like t-bones every night yeah. <laughs> yeah so like and i think that was also a breath of fresh air because um again and Stall state does this very well where they just always found bands that were within a genre but never they had their own personality yeah and um that goes for life in your way that goes for a city's burn you know like pretty much every band that we're talking about here but um but yeah blood in the gears perfect uh blend of like they, they have some really cool melodic acoustic stuff on there some of that thrashy stuff some of that pantera stuff and then uh i think this was their yeah this was their final album but it also had two members from demon hunter in it as well okay so yeah yeah, right on. Yeah, lots of uh, cool kind of, and that's why I love love hearing different perspectives because you know, like I said, I, I don't have a whole lot of perspective on a band like this. But when when you share kind of your your thoughts on it, it makes me want to go back and you know, maybe maybe not uh, like tonight, but in the right circumstance, it's like okay, maybe I could enjoy this album. You know, maybe next time I'm I'm grilling up a steak or something, I'll uh, I'll crank it in the backyard and make the neighbors wonder about me. There you go. Yeah. Oh, and here's the thing also, like, as sorry, I know we're about to go into the next album. Like, I think a lot of their lyrics are actually really deep too. Like if you were to, to read them and, and just like actually without the music and just look them up and and read them, uh, like there, there's definitely some cool social commentary, uh, about the nine to five lifestyle that, you know, most, uh, Americans live um, and then there's like some yeah just like really really deep emotional stuff that um, you know on some of their old uh, albums like there was this one song where I think it pretty much talks about alcoholism mm. and you know that's something that I mean is very relatable but it's kind of something kind of taboo that not especially in the quote-unquote Christian scene that isn't talked about a lot but is obviously something that is a disease that, you know, plagues uh, a lot of families and, uh, yeah. you know, so good stuff, man, like a good time, but also, you know, great meaningful lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well, we're at, uh, the last pick here and it's under oaths disambiguation from 2010.
So I haven't really listened to this album a whole lot. I kind of skimmed through it this week. Um, I kind of stopped listening to Under Oath kind of after Define the Great Line, so I don't have a whole lot of kind of perspective or insight into this album. I will say, though, that I, I really appreciate the way in which they've always seemed to kind of push the limits of what they create and how they sound. You know, they've always been a very dynamic and visual band, and I, I completely acknowledge, you know, their influence on the music scene. And, you know, I know by this point, you know, Aaron wasn't in the band, and, um, you know, they shifted their sound a little bit, maybe even before before this. I can't remember what year it was I saw them live last. Um, but it was just, yeah, it, it had a different vibe to it. And at least in the show I was at, people weren't super into it. So it's kind of weird that my last experience with under oath is kind of like this like uh like people you know they were headlining and half the people had kind of left and so anyways that's i know kind wow. of a really kind of negative <laughs> <laughs> approach wow. to that but yeah yeah and it's you know lots had kind of happened you know in the in the span of the you know from define the great line to this so yeah i'm curious as to why kind of this one stands out versus maybe some of their more well-known ones yeah, um, for me, I I think as I've matured as a musician and whatnot, I've found different styles of, of much like the extreme metal style that I really got into, which is more of a niche kind of thing. Um, post metal is something that really intrigued me. The, the the darker, sludgier, but still heavy as balls kind of stuff, and. Um, under Oath, uh, on this album in particular, um, I wouldn't say that it's straight up post-metal, but it had a lot of that influence. And, um, and you know, I was very um, uh, intrigued by it. It was a new genre that I had never really, um, you know, explored much before, aside from maybe bands like Pelican. And um, so I... The, and I, I don't know what it is, but like with my personal music taste, I'm also very drawn to, which is funny because Jimmy Eat World's my favorite band, but I'm very drawn to darker sounding music. Um, you know, and, and this album is by far their darkest, heaviest sounding record. It, it sounds grimy. It sounds punishing. It sounds, uh, you know, you no longer had the dude in the band who brought the pop element yeah. to, to, to this record and um, you know, or, or the hooks. And it was at this point, just uh, bare bones, just like the, just the heavier aspect of, of what was left of the band at the time. And I'm glad it was made because it gave the guys that were into the heavier style like an opportunity to shine because I don't know I don't think we'll ever get an album like this again from Under Oath. Um, but so this was definitely I could see why what you're saying like I, whenever I saw Under Oath uh, during this touring cycle, um, it was always uh, it, it was like a big package. I think I only saw them once. And it was something called the Cool Tour. And um, so you had like, um, at back then, this is pre-jail, but, you know, this is uh, uh, Azalea Dying, 
you had uh, the acacia strain on there. Mm. Um, who else was on there? Between the Buried and Me, I think, was on there. Like, it was a huge fest. So, like, this crowd was huge. So, I didn't really – it was hard to gauge, like – everybody was there. It was like an indoor warp tour, in a sense. So, uh, but for me, I was, I was loving it. I remember that show very well. They had this like really cool projection, uh, projector and, um, I just remember they played songs off of this record and also lost in the sound of separation. And it just sounded so huge. Like, I think if I wasn't wearing earplugs, maybe my eardrums would have started to bleed because it was so loud and powerful it's just like, oh, like, you know, vibrating my skull. It was sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, uh, in terms of lyrically, it's just, you know, I think Spencer's some of his darkest stuff. And maybe not, um, in my opinion, I think his most honest record to date, lyrically, obviously, they're, they're the latest one. But this one was still pretty it's heavy man you like you, especially if you know like how he was struggling in his personal life and whatnot and then just reading these lyrics you're just like whoa and then yeah and i love what um chris the keyboardist slash uh synth guy like his subtleties with all the programming and, and stuff is just just awesome yeah, the show that I saw them at, uh, I think it was even a co-headliner with Comeback Kid. So it was a, and the opening bands, it was The Chariot and This Is Hell. So you kind of had, you know, This Is Hell and Comeback Kid, the more kind of like posi-core, hardcore, and then The Chariot and Under Oath that were a little bit more on the heavier side. And it, the city I'm from, like, especially at that time, like was all about Comeback Kid and bands like that. And so pretty much after Comeback Kid played, you know, half the people laughed because they just weren't interested. And so, I, I mean, yeah, had I had I seen that show in a different venue or, you know, whatever, maybe maybe that would have changed. I'm not saying it was bad or anything. It's just when when that's kind of your final, like, picture of a band, it's like, oh, it's kind of a little disappointing. But I know there was lots going on and shifts changing and whatever. So, but... I think that was like one of their final tours before they actually did their farewell tour where things were, I mean, this is well documented. I mean, on, you know, like uh, on their documentaries and they talk about it openly, but it seems yeah. like they were approaching their breaking point internally as a band as well. I think maybe one of the guys wasn't even touring with them anymore. Mm. And um, so, you know, I, and I, I feel like fans can tell when something up sometimes you know on stage yeah you know uh you know if there's tension or or something like that or something just went down like i you know people they might not know what's going on but they can sense like yo this is this is rough <laughs> you know so that could be it too because i mean it's it's kind of like every band or artist i've ever watched an interview with doesn't matter the music, but they say like, you know, we give a certain energy and then the crowd returns the energy and then we get more stoked. And it's kind of like a give and take, give and take. And uh, that really sets the atmosphere for the show. So, I mean, my guess would be that who knows, maybe they came out on stage and maybe partially 
aside from the fact that the album is definitely not their most accessible, but um, maybe the energy was off too. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, it could have been a lot, lots of things playing to it, but yeah, awesome. Well, that is that is your ten albums, and uh, yeah, so so much good stuff in there. And thanks for uh, sharing all your insight. I do want to uh, I do want to touch on on some light worker stuff as well. And um, so for those that uh, they're this band that I heard in a garage down the street, and uh, they gave me some free stickers, so I hung around. There you go. Yeah, dude, that's. I'm glad we get to talk about this because I mean I've I've badgered you and and asked questions for probably the last year and a half or or whatever. Just when's the album coming and and uh, <laughs> so this was this was neat for me because I don't know if uh, so I'm as far as I can remember this is. You know, or at least you know, in the last decade, the only kind of connection with a solid state band that would have had, you know, kind of prior, and so yeah, it was cool, kind of you know, hearing the the EP you guys had before this, and and then just you know, keeping in touch as you know things progressed. However, you know, it, it definitely took a long time, and it felt like kind of an eternity. I'm sure it did for you guys too by the time this came out, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've said it to you many times. This this album is just so good, and it's actually um, in uh, in my top five albums of the year. So, well, um, thanks, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't I, yeah, it's just there's so but there's so much to it that I love, and and I'll talk a bit more about it on uh, on on uh, our top ten records podcast episode um, coming out in a few weeks. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't know. It, it just brings me so much joy when I listen to it. There's so much to take away from it. And so thanks for all the, the time and effort and perseverance that's, that you guys put into this. So, yeah, I, I've just got a few kind of questions to, to kind of get some more um, info and insights. And, um, and I know you've done uh, a few other podcasts as well that's, that I've listened to. So if people want more in-depth, then they can go and uh, check those out. Uh, so when you wrote the songs for this album, like, did you guys know that you were signing to Solid State, or had you already started the writing process kind of before, you know, that all happened? Well, first off, thank you for your kind words. That really means a lot to us. Uh, I think you kind of, I think you're one of the few people that actually knows, like, how long that that whole thing took. <laughs> because we had been friends for a while at that point. And I think we became friends even a little after the whole process began. And, and so you, like, didn't, you weren't, so, I mean, from the point that you knew me moving forward, I mean, that was a lot of time. So, again, thank you for for, for the encouraged words along the way. Um, but, um, yeah, to answer your question, uh, we didn't know. We, um we had released the EP and um, we weren't really sure what was next for the band, if we were going to do another EP and, you know, or if we were going to even do another musical thing. Um, we had already begun writing, but we just didn't, and it, I don't know. It just got to the point where it was like, okay, um, we're just going to do a record, you know, and we're going to, see what happens we actually had like no expectations uh we had hopes <laughs> but 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 no expectations and we're just like you know we're just gonna 
right? The best record that we can right now. And, um, yeah, we got, we got signed, um, actually the, the mixing of the record was already done. I think we were, we, and the math and we were waiting for the master and, um, yeah. So the, 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 the record itself had already been done. Okay. Yeah. I, I was curious as if to, you know, if, if you knew, or if you didn't like, if that changes, you know, the way you write songs, like if you're coming up with a riff if it's like, Oh, maybe that's too reminiscent of, you know, a different band on, on the label or, <laughs> you know, not, um, not, not that you necessarily are using that as your gauge, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Just, just was kind of a thought I had. Yeah. No, uh, when it comes to writing, I think we, we really do what, we we kind of want you know like uh we kind of do what what we think sounds good and um <clears throat> especially for this record uh grayson had just come out of uh I, I was in the band for a while too but he had just come out of his former band um and he hadn't really uh, i don't know the exact details but i i guess like he just wasn't the primary songwriter for whatever reason and or or and they weren't the band wasn't huge on, you know, co-writing within the band, you know? So he had like, he, he had a, an immense need to just get a lot of his ideas out. And I told him, I said, dude, sounds good. The next record um, though, we're going to, cause I, I, I had, a, I had an idea of where I wanted this fury by failure to go initially, but we yeah we cut this deal where we we were just like okay this first record is going to be just kind of like catharsis for him and then the next record um is going to have um so so this record is a little bit of kind of of everything in terms of what we like stylistically whereas the next record i think is going to be hopefully um a little bit more zeroed in on on a on a vision and whatnot and not not to say that we didn't have a vision on on this record. I think the vision was to be diverse and kind of show, you know, all our influences yeah. um, and and styles that we like. But I think the next one is going to, like I said, is going to be a little bit more. Um, I, I don't I don't even I've zoomed in. I guess is the best way. Yeah. Well, it's it's probably hard to tell at this point. I mean, if you haven't really started a lot of the writing, or and some of yeah. that can shift and change too. And um, yeah, so like like we said, there were some you know challenges that came you know with this album. So what about the songs and music kind of kept you encouraged or persevering forward during this time? Uh, during during um, like just what? during like the kind of writing and recording and like working on a record deal and. You know, because I know a lot of that stuff can kind of get draining or it's like, oh, now this band member's not a part of the band or whatever. And, you know, uh, sometimes that can kind of make the music take a back seat because it's like, ah, oh, this is just too much to deal with right now. So I'm just kind of curious as, uh, about what kind of kept you going forward. Um, honestly, my brother in the band, Grayson, um, he and I, we... We were, we were good friends before all of this, but I think through the process in the last, I would say, four years has brought us super close 
super, super close. And um, I think we lean on each other heavily. Uh, and But we also encourage each other to be very independent as well, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be artistically or just life. And, um, you know, just, and, and all, honestly, the, the team as well, like uh, that uh, for that was involved with the recording, whether it be Daniel Gailey from uh, Phineas slash uh, Fit for a King, uh, who recorded all the instruments for the record, to Bo Burchell, who did the vocals uh, recording and mixing, and also our manager, Chris, uh, Chris LeMasters, um, who played in Den Divine and is now in 100 Sons in another band called uh, Teeth. Um, all just very encouraging and, and, and friends too, you know. Um, but ultimately, I think the dynamic between me and my, my bandmate is really what pushed it forward. And uh, and yeah, got a lot of love for Grayson. I, 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 this, this record would have never happened uh, if it weren't for him. Mm, awesome. Well, what are your, some of your favorite aspects of songwriting and composing music? Like, are there certain pieces of, of songs that get you more excited? You know, maybe that's finding a melody to match a guitar part or building a breakdown or when parts kind of line up to make the song cohesive. Is, is there something about that process that, like, you really love and really attach to? Or is it kind of about, you know, the whole song? Or Good. I, I think it depends on the song. Because um, some songs... Are easy, they just come to us very quickly. Then there's some songs that take years to write. There's some riffs on and ideas on this record that I've had for a long time, years, <laughs> and they finally, and so like you've, I think I found satisfaction finally finding a place for some of those specific riffs and ideas um one of those ideas being the pretty much the whole like last third of um that song dissonance um the the picking part um the guitar picking part at the end um is something that i've had for a very long time and i finally found a home and um so that's very satisfying being like okay cool you know and um that you know that idea found a home and then i would say writing lyrics um and melodies for me it's it's kind of funny like each time you write a you know a new song you're just like goodness like am i going to be able to come up with something interesting Mm. scratch again like (laughs) it's just kind of i'm sure it's the same way when it comes to writing drum beats you know it's just like you know, like, what can I do that, you know, like, it, I mean, do I go f- with the, you know, uh, w- with the straightforward, you know, a straightforward beat, or should I, I mean, is there room for me to do, you know, something kind of, you know, interesting here? It's the same with vocals, you know, and, and, and lyrically, too. And I think um, there are times, like, to give you a specific example, the song Remove the Earth was very, very difficult to finish. Mm. Uh, I think that was the, yeah, that, I, that, that song took months <laughs> uh. Uh, vocally to, to get done. 
Yeah. And um, so, like, figuring that one out was just, that was, yeah, I was really thrilled about that. And then there's finding, and then Empire, like, or, or better yet, Beyond the Pale, like, the chorus came to me before the song was even finished, before we even had completely demoed the full song um instrumentally like that 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 chorus idea just came to me and i knew that's what it was going to be and it didn't change at all from like the original version to that that's what it was cool yeah well well, thanks for putting in the time on that remove the earth because that's my favorite song on the album so another another interesting thing if you want to know more about remove the earth um is that uh that song was is also one of the two songs it's one of the two songs that's actually about like my reaction to to finding out my mom had cancer Mm. so um you know that one holds like a really special place for me because of that um and something that's kind of interesting as well was that i actually had to kind of relearn how to scream for for this record so like that song was also written before i had completely relearned my new technique which is why even though it's super chuggy there's a lot of singing on it yeah as opposed to like um you know uh as opposed to a lot of screaming i think there's only screaming on the uh there's a little bit of screaming on the on on the on the pre-chorus, but and then the bridge is like the real like you know screaming part. Yeah. yeah. But otherwise, it's all melodic vocals because yeah. yeah, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was like, I need to learn how to scream <laughs> like scream again because it had been such a long time since I'd done it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love the melodic like vocals on it, and I think that's partially why I like this album so much is. Because there's not a lot of like heavy albums with with mostly singing that you know kind of within this. I know there's a lot of you know like metal, just kind of straightforward metal albums with singing, but kind of more the the metalcore. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that that balance of like you know a really heavy groove with like a really cool vocal melody. I don't know. It's just something about kind of carries the song and gives a bit more weight to it. So. I don't know. I thought that was awesome. And then it makes the screaming sound that much more kind of punchy and in your face when, when it comes in. So where do you, where do you feel, uh, or how do you feel Fury by Failure fits into the solid state catalog? Like if you kind of had to place it, you know, maybe that's too vague of a question. Um, but kind of, how do you, how do you feel it kind of fits? I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of albums and a lot of styles in there, but if you had to kind of place it somewhere kind of on the, on, on the line, where would you place it? I, I don't think I can answer that question. I think that's something that, um, and I don't mean that for that to be like a cop-out answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. But, but it's, it's, um, I think that's totally up to the listener and, and, um, I hope as a person who, I mean, we went through this, you know, top 10 list from, from, you know, like a specific span of time. I mean, I, I think anybody listening to this can tell that I'm a huge fan of solid state records. Um, and 
so for me, I'd say that my only hope is that I did something that was worthy of contributing even just a small piece to their rich, legendary catalog. Yeah. And, and um, I think that's the best way I can put it. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm being, you know, being up there from, you know, knowing that we are part of the same catalog that August Prince read under oath, uh, X toll Zayo, and then more modern bands like fit for a King and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the newer bands like, uh, earth groans and empty wolves at the gate. I mean, it's insane to me cause I'm a huge fan of all those bands. I still oh, yeah. buy their records, you know, like I, you know, I just bought, um, the showbread repress on vinyl, you know, like, uh, and what else did I get? I mean, I have the fit, I'm looking at it right now, like the, the latest, uh, or the new fit for a King album. Like I own it because I'm a big fan. Yeah. And, um, so to know that our, you know, album is, is up there with them is surreal. And so it makes it impossible for me to answer. <laughs> yeah well let, let me ask you my, my final question is maybe another impossible one and and this one just kind of popped into my mind i was trying to think of like something different so if you had to pair your album with one other solid state album you know if not necessarily like sound wise but if someone was just like you know you, you can pick two albums on solid state one is the light worker album what would be the other one Oh boy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe no that's idea. too hard. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, there's so many, there's so many great records, you know, like I even asked you before this, I was like, Hey, can we expand this to like 10 records instead of five? Because it's just so hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, just, the fact that we're even on the label is just just blows my mind, and um, it's funny because in a weird way I I almost feel like this weird responsibility to try to I guess even just produce like at least you know something that's a quality that that would even be worthy to be <laughs> among the uh, among that catalog. So. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea, man. But uh, but that that's sure is an interesting thing to ponder about. So <laughs> maybe the cop out answer is just to say a solid state sampler. That way you get tw <laughs> you get twenty bands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to add about uh, about Lightworker or anything else solid state related? Let's see. Um, well, uh, we still have some vinyl available. Uh, that's a limited and you, it has extended liner notes that is, is exclusive to the vinyl about each song and the songwriting process that Grayson and I each typed up. Um, and you can get that at the solid state, uh, solid state, um, uh, merch store, online merch store and, um, follow us on social media. You can follow me at Joey Dietz with an S. Um, and, uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, I think that's it, you know, just, uh, 
keep listening, keep supporting music, keep listening. We all appreciate it. And uh, thank you for your time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been great to have you on joy. I always love getting to talk with you about music because you're just so passionate about it and knowledgeable. And so thanks for all the ways in which you're building into the music scene online and, and in many other ways and, and with your band. So yeah, this has been, this has been great. Thanks so much. Of course, man. Thanks. All right. See you, dude. All right, man. See you.